It's a joy to uh, continue with you the messages uh, during this, um, this month about um, just this great reality and this call of God to us that we learn how to live, live freely, right? How many vote for freedom, right? Anybody? I mean, come on, like this weekend is kind of about freedom, but let, we vote for freedom, don't we? We do. I read a long time ago, I read a book by Don Williams, a Presbyterian pastor uh, in Southern California entitled Addicted to Jesus. And in that book, he talks about how God actually comes, can change our, you know, the whole disposition of our hearts and turn us in freedom toward Christ. So, and this is the phrase that has stuck in my heart for a long time. And you've heard me say it. And because of this, Jesus, who, is, who knows how to live freely and fearlessly, can also empower us to live freely and fearlessly. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to be able to move into greater dimensions of living freely and fearlessly? So I want to invite you that, that, since, that if that is your heart's desire, and you, it may not be your heart's desire, at which point I would ask God to make it your heart's desire. But I want to invite you to the Living Free uh, opportunity for breakthrough this weekend, five, uh, 7 o'clock uh, to 9 o'clock on the on the 15th, this Friday night, and then on Saturday, 9 to 4, t- time well spent. Well spent. And this is for everybody, right? And the curriculum that we're going to be using, some of you have seen it and been through it, but this says the course manual, Living Free. Mike Riches, who is the author of this, bringing together these biblical truths, will be here. And uh, with me on Friday night, we're going to tag team the teaching on Friday night and an overview of the first six parts of this. So it's kind of an intensive. In other words, we're going to highlight certain areas that are particularly important to our own experience of breaking free, right? Living in integrated freedom. And then on the next day, Saturday, we're going to deal with four fundamental, uh, I mean, we could have chosen many, but there are going to be four of the areas in which many of us find ourselves stuck. So it could be all the way from just feelings of insignificance and inferiority or anger and unforgiveness, or the last session is going to be a session about breaking free from shame, okay? Because there are a lot of people who carry around deep in their hearts, a lot of Christians, a lot, many of the people who are Christians still carry around in their hearts this label of shame, this feeling of shame, this constriction, right? this constriction of shame on your life. And Jesus is our liberator. Amen? Lord, that was an enthusiastic amen. Jesus is our liberator, right? Yeah. You can say, right. If amen's not your word, say yes, or something like that, right? And so helping us to move into greater, greater freedom. I, I invite you, be a part, be a part, like Paul would say, I urge you by the mercies of God. That word means I beg you, right? He wasn't, he wasn't uh, above begging. So I urge you to make yourselves available, to come. Be present for the ne- this Sunday you're here, but be present for the next two Sundays as well and beyond. And we're going to be talking about this liberating, amazing, beautiful Jesus. Uh, and you're going to be having more experiences with Jesus. No, I just want to say that to you and to your life. I want to tell you that you're going to have more liberating experiences with Jesus Christ. And as these begin to take place in your life, you are going to 
like be in awe at his ability to move in your life, his understanding of what binds you up, and his complete adequacy in bringing you into greater realms of enjoyment of being his follower. Amen? So will you take that? I mean, I, that, that's a pretty good blessing, I think. So he wants to do that for you. But being present is important. How many have heard the, the difference between quantity time and quality time, right? Come on, right? So quantity time means this much time, right? Quality time is boom. Something really happens in that quantity time. Something happens. Um, I don't, if you raise kids, uh, have raised children or are raising them, you know that, that you want quality time. Sometimes we say, I'm going to take 30 minutes today and have some quality time with my kids. Well, guess what? That's your plan, but that's not necessarily their plan. Right? You can spend time. You may get your 30 minutes in, but it will not guarantee that it's quality time. But quantity time can, can give way to the experience of quality time. So in the midst of spending time and time and time and more time with your kids, in family, with family time, spending time, being together, as you do that, right, create that because that's a value to you. It's, it's what matters to you in the midst of quantity time. Some quality time can happen. And by that, it means this. Oh, all of a sudden, there's a conversation that just shifts everything. There's an openness that tells you what's going on in their life. There's a teachable moment that takes place. Moments you cannot force. You can only create time in which they can happen. All right? So as parents, I just want to challenge you. A father came up to me after the first service, after I'd said these things, and he said, oh, my goodness. So my real message, he didn't even, like, that was, that, this was his message, right? Time. And he said, pray that I'll have patience with my children, right? Yeah. And so this is, this is so important, but it's, it goes with God too. Here's the deal with God. Spending time with God, time with God, private time with God, public time with God. Time in your, your group life community. Time, time in worship together. Sunday after, not once every other week, not, not once every month. That's not, that's not quality, quantity time. But it's spending time with him opens you up for those moments in which God just simply downloads into your heart and you just go, oh my goodness, something is happening to me right now, right? Uh, you may be of the mistaken sense that when I read the Bible, because I'm pastor, right? My pastor is supposed to be spiritual, right? How many vote for the pastor to be spiritual? Okay, right. Okay, well, half of you, that's cool. Um, but uh, when I open up the Bible and I read the Bible, I don't always go, whoa, that's amazing. No, I mean, I go a lot of times, that's really good, God. You know? And I just... But it's soaking, it's soaking, it's soaking, it's soaking. And then there are those times, and it increases. The more quantity time you spend, those times increase in which all of a sudden there's just like, boom, revelation and openness. You just go, oh, my goodness, God, I've never seen that, right? And so I just want to encourage you, be present. Living Free Intensive coming up this weekend. Register today or tomorrow, latest tomorrow, okay? We want to be ready for you. We already have over 80 people that are pre-registered, which is exciting, but why shouldn't we have 160 people, right? So I invite you. Come, make the arrangements, pay the price. It'll be worth it to you. Okay, today, 
great word today is all about the restorative Jesus. The restorative Jesus. I looked up that word restorative. Dictionary definition of restorative is this. As an adjective, it means having the ability to restore health, strength, or a feeling of well-being. Restorative. How many of you just like to be restored, right? If you just look at this, that's something I go, yep, I could use that. You say, well, I don't know if that's deep enough for me. It says a sense, you know, a feeling of well-being. Is just this about feelings? Well, no, it's not just about feelings. It's about relationships. But a feeling of well-being, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to actually have happening in your life that you feel well? That there's feeling of well-being, right? In fact, if you, uh, you, you transpose that over to the Hebrew language, you come into contact with the word shalom. That shalom is this, is this well-being, this wholeness. Jesus is called the Prince of Shalom, right? So he is the restorative Jesus, And he's coming to do some deep, profound work within our lives. He's not messing around. He's not like, uh, well, you know, whatever, hang out with me, not much will happen. No, he just really desires us to experience his restoration. So as the restorative Jesus, uh, he comes in order to restore health and strength and well-being in our relationship with God, with one another, but also in relationship to ourselves. It's a big deal, what Jesus is up to. I love the voice translation of the New Testament, particularly in in, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, in which uh, the work of Jesus as a redemptive work is often talked about God's restorative justice. God's restorative justice. So Jesus is all about restorative justice. He is powerful in the presence of the complexity of our brokenness. Now, you do understand that brokenness is not like a simple, it's not a simple word, right? It, there's a complexity in the brokenness that we all have experienced. I've been listening to some new songs by an old, uh, uh, not, he's not old, but his group was older, Delirious, but Martin Smith has a song called Everybody's Broken. Everybody's Broken, Everybody's Broken, Everybody Breaks. You may think that's somewhat of a depressive word, but it's just really looking at reality because if you don't start with, it, with what is true, if you don't start in reality, then you can't experience the Jesus who comes into the reality. He's not going to come to the false, he's not going to come to the pretend world <laughs> that we oftentimes present to him. He's going to come to that which is broken. He's going to enter into those places. And it's, it's, oftentimes, it's oftentimes complex, as our story this morning will tell us, And dare we say, not only is he uh, uh, all about restorative justice in our own individual lives, but that he's also the restorative power for the brokenness seen in whole families and communities and on our globe, in our world. Oh my goodness, we need this Jesus because his reach is far and wide. The story that is really a story of shalom comes in Luke chapter 8 that I would like to read to you now. It's in your YouVersion um, app and uh, there on uh, the, the, the live event from uh, Piotr Nazarene and you can follow along there with this text or look it up yourself as we read. Luke chapter 8. They, meaning Jesus and the disciples, 
sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man many times. It had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he responded. Because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him. They begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported what happened. When they came to Jesus, they reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom whom the demons had, had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region, of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave. To leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home And tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. God's word for God's people. Amen. I just want to draw out in the the moments that we have to look at this. What I just, I just know is just so much of the message of Luke for us when he's sharing the gospel of Jesus here. In this story. First I just want to note to you. That Jesus crosses. The boundaries of fear. And prejudice. Jesus as. Is a disconcerting presence. He's an upsetting presence. To those. Who want to stay fortressed. Behind their prejudices and fears. Jesus crosses from Galilee. Crosses from Galilee across the Sea of Galilee, moving east to the eastern shore of the sea, there to the cities of Decapolis, we learn other places, uh, into the Gadarenes, right? Into non Jewish territory. These people all don't look like them, talk like them, smell like them, don't have the values that they have. These people don't think like the Jews. These people don't have the religious history of the Jews. They are very, very different. They're strangers to them. And Jesus takes his disciples and goes to this land with a message. 
not only a message for the towns of Decapolis, but a message for the disciples as well. Jesus crosses these boundaries, these great barriers from Galilee to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, they were met by this, this man who was just like out of his mind, right? This man who, according to Jewish sensibilities, is completely offensive because he's a man who doesn't wear clothes. He's naked. He runs up to Jesus. And besides that, he lives in the most appalling place. He lives in the place of the dead. He lives among the tombs, in the graveyard, where the dead are. Of course, in Jewish custom, to come in contact with the dead makes one ceremonially unclean, which means that if you come in contact with the dead, then you're not able to worship God at the temple until you go through a purification rite and a period of of cleansing, and then you can come to worship again. So everything about this picture is wrong. (laughs) Everything about this picture is difficult for them to take. The translation says that he was a demon-possessed man, but literally it just means that this certain man was a man who was having demons. It was a man whose life was being overrun by evil. Mark's gospel, in telling the story, gives us a little additional insight. It says, For he had often been chained, this is chapter 5, verse 4. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. It just leaves you with a, I don't, it just leaves you with a great sadness about the man. Unless you think he is a figment of somebody's imagination. He's not a real character. He's not a real person. But if you think that he was a man who never dreamed he would be in this place. As a young man. As a boy. As a teenager. Being raised in his home, perhaps. Whatever was going on in his life. He would have never dreamed that he would become the man who was in this place. Who was so harassed and afflicted. It says here that many times, many times, he was seized. The demons had seized him. For a long time this had taken place. And when it says that they had seized him, that he had been seized, and that he had been driven, it was, uh, the, the tense of the verbs here means that this was a continual repetition. These things always happened. It was like a bad day happening again and again for this man. And he meets Jesus. He meets the Lord Jesus. He was powerless to change what he had become, and he knew it. I was speaking with uh, a man, Rayvon Johnson, who is, uh, who is on staff at Union Gospel Mission in uh, Seattle. And I just... I loved his statement as we were just talking about need and culture and all of the, all the brokenness around. He, he just said, everybody has pain. Everybody needs to know and experience the restorative love of the gospel. Isn't that true? Don't you need that? Don't you need what this Jesus brings? The next thing I want you to know is that Jesus is restorative in his compassion and power. 
It says that when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man many times, as, as we had said, it had seized him. Um, there's an interesting little phrase here that starts appearing in the next two episodes as well in the, the storyline of Jesus in, Mar- in Luke chapter 8. It says that he fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. Later you'll read that there is a, a man, man who just right out, a man who comes, and I think it's his daughter who is ill, and he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet, right? And then there's a woman who is healed of a hemorrhaging uh, condition where she bled continuously for 14 years, whom Jesus healed, and it says that she fell at his feet three times. I don't think that's accidental <laughs> that Luke is noting that. She fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. This man falls at the feet of Jesus. I heard just uh, this week on Thursday of a meeting with some pastors that we were talking and a person speaking to us said this. We always are talking about lifting up Jesus. What if we just fell at his feet? What if we just fell at his feet? I mean, what, what if we weren't like too prideful, too self-sufficient, too, you know, you know, thinking all that <laughs> about ourselves? What if, what if we just like, I mean, what if you just in a private moment today or sometime this week, multiple times, you just like fell on your knees as if before Jesus, you just fell at his feet and you just told him that you needed him. That you submitted to him, that you surrendered to him. That that you just what if what if instead of just always talking about lifting him high, what if we just changed positions? <laughs> and instead of positioning ourselves above Jesus, what if we would just fall at his feet? I believe that he would be lifted high, right? And look at what Jesus does. He just begins to free the man. There are these pigs. <laughs> nearby the demons uh, they don't want to be like completely obliterated uh you know of course i i think that it it ended up that they were completely incapacitated of harming anybody else they sent him into the pigs right and into the pigs he just that and the pigs you know what man what a scene right would you like a, a youtube uh capture of that moment like, like here it is. I mean, it would go viral. Dude, I was just out hurting some of my pigs. And uh, there's this man in the graves. And Jesus comes and liberates him from the demons and all that. I don't know what happened. But that man got, that man quit screaming. And all my pigs started screaming. And they all ran down the hillside and they drowned in the water. Whoa. <laughs> and this man is cured. I mean, this is, a, this is a Luke, uh, you know, kind of physician Luke who uh, uses, you know, uses this word that he's cured. Now, you and I know nobody gets cured from this. They had tried. They had tried. They, they never really tried to cure him. They just tried to manage him. And I just want to tell you that this Jesus that we're meeting up with, he is not, he is not interested just simply, I mean, where their management can happen, praise God, right? But he is not just interested in you, helping you manage what is tormenting you. He wants to actually set you free. 
We have long forgotten about this Jesus. He wants to set us free and he cures this man. He just simply cures this man. And there the man is found sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. I love what the voice translation says in Romans chapter 3. There's this little note. Note number 6, if you come across it, it says, So it is the nature of God's justice that he acts to restore and repair a world that is not the way it should be. And above all, it is God's saving actions through Jesus that constitute the gift of God's restorative justice. Amen? Boy, I tell you, it says these people were afraid. But I hope we would become the people that would be standing up and applauding Jesus and say, how can we know you? How can we follow you? Well, the next thing I want to draw to your attention is this. When it comes to restorative justice, people matter. Even if it costs you your pigs. We don't have much time to spend here, but this is really a big, like, this is like very, very interesting. Doesn't Jesus care about the living of these men who had pigs? Well, I don't want us, I don't know that we can press and say that Jesus doesn't care, but that nothing is said by any of the evangelists, the people who write the Gospels, about the economic concern does raise this possibility that the Gospel writers want us to understand that when it comes to people, Even if it costs you your herd, people matter more than your economics. Because many times when we move in to really helping people, we are oftentimes saying, well, you know, and we're we're weighing the cost, but a lot of times we're, we're, we're weighing the cost and we're saying, okay, this far and no more. And Matt, when Jesus gets radical and he gets going in his restorative justice, (laughs) even Lord Mammon has to bow to Jesus. And that may be hard for us to swallow. So what does all this have to do with us? Let's wrap this up. What does this have to do with us? With, With me, you know, with you with us together as the people of God. Let's just highlight these three, I think, important messages. First of all, Jesus has the authority to address address our own brokenness. You say, well, I'm not this bad off. How many of you read the scripture and say, well, glad I'm not that guy, right? How many? Come on, come on. I'm glad I'm not this man, right? Because that's really bad off. And so because we're not that bad off, we say this isn't about us. But I would present to you that this is a this in the gospel story is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus can do this, he can also set you free from all of the other things that are harassing you, where you feel outdueled, overwhelmed, outrun, outdone, where you're done with things, life, you're just like you're harassed, you're struggling. There's a constant drag, you get this far. Three steps forward, 15 steps back. You get whipped back in. Listen, this Jesus can address your brokenness. How many times he's addressed my own broken life. 
my broken marriage, my broken heart, right? My broken thinking. So many times he has addressed that. So he says to us, I'm coming to your grave. I'm coming to your helplessness. I'm coming to your brokenness, your strongholds, your destructive ways, your wounds. I'm coming as Messiah and I'm coming with restorative justice because I love you. Amen. Next. It seems to me that in this Jesus is saying, go home and tell. Jesus sends us home and to our hometown. Go home and tell what God has done for you. And he goes home and he tells what Jesus has done for him. I think that's really interesting that the gospel record shows this little change. Go home and tell what God has done for you. And he goes home and tells what Jesus has done for him. The work of God is in the work of Jesus. Amen. Boy, how how amazing is that? Go home and tell. Carl Medeiros, man, I encourage you to read Carl Medeiros' book on speaking of Jesus, primarily because he's not calling us to speak about Jesus. Don't go talk about Jesus to people. Seriously. There'll be a time maybe, but don't go talk about the gospel. Don't go make a gospel presentation to people. God loves you. Jesus died for you. God, you know, invite Jesus into your life. And Now, as effective as much as that has been, it is a far cry from what we're being called to do as this man was. Go tell what Jesus has done for you. Right? Go give a personal witness to the effectiveness and power of Jesus the Messiah in your own life. Go speak of Jesus. Don't just go talk about Jesus. Amen? That means that we, that means we, have, we are to have experience with Jesus in the forgiveness of sins, the lifting of guilt and shame, the breakthrough of the strongholds that beat us down, you know, some deliverance that we've gone through when we've been harassed by lying voices that have told us otherwise other than what we were than we really are as children of God. So this is like powerful. And the last thing that I would just say in this, I think is just, oh, it's the discipling moment for, for the disciples. Follow Jesus across the barriers of race, poverty, and brokenness. Don't just surround yourself with people who, though they're broken, they have, like you, enough money and cultural sensitivity to cover up their brokenness. Many of us stay away from the people that are uncomfortably broken. So move. (laughs) Find. Go with Jesus across these barriers. Let him expand capacity. That, I can just see that's what he's doing in these, you know, in these, uh, in these disciples as they follow Jesus. And remember that probably if you're going to go do this, you're going to run into you're going to run into opposition. I wish I had time to unpack this, but it's really interesting. You know, right before they stepped on shore, you know what they went through? They went through a storm. When, they, when Jesus said, let's go across to the other side, he got in the boat, he went to sleep, and as they're crossing, a great storm comes up, and they feared for their lives. They really did. These are brave fishermen, and they go down. They wake him up and say, if you don't do something, we're going to drown. Michael Card, in his commentary on Luke, calls this, uh, calls this a demonic storm. 
It very well could have been an attack of the evil one against them through this storm to discourage them, to take the life out of them, to just kind of like, you know, just kind of defeat them. We're going to drown. I think it's so interesting. They feared drowning. But when it was all said and done, the demons with the pigs actually did drown. And there can be so much opposition that rises up against you whenever you actually do set out to cross the barriers of race, right? Of poverty and of brokenness into the lives of people around you. You don't have to look far. They are right in front of us. So let us follow Jesus. I really don't want to be like the townspeople who were afraid and said, Jesus, we want you to leave. Right? We'd rather be like the man who goes back to the town where the soil was pretty hard. And he goes back to the town and he says, this is what God has done for me through Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. The restorative Jesus And don't you just, like, love this man? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. We just just want to experience you. We want to know you more deeply. We want to follow you. But we don't know how to do this. We honestly don't know how to do this. But help us say we will. We will. We'll do it. We'll follow you. We'll let you into our brokenness. We'll, we'll go and tell our friends and family what, what you've done and, and we'll speak of you. And, and Lord, we want to learn how to follow you across the barriers. And it wouldn't be something, Lord, if your people in this nation, in this day and age, these times, if we who say we're followers of Jesus become a catalytic presence, a way to ignite hope in our world because of the way we love with the authority of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We surrender to you. Forgive us. Open us up. Help us to hear again the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.